Welcome to Federal Insights for May, a discussion on artificial intelligence and data, sponsored by Hitachi Vantara Federal. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guest today is Gary Hicks. He's the Chief Technology Officer for Hitachi Vantara Federal. Gary, good to have you with us this morning. No, thanks for having me, Tom. And of course, artificial intelligence is on every agency's lips. It's on everybody's lips. In fact, I just read a study this morning that showed that just the Chinese large universities have published almost 30,000 papers on artificial intelligence in the past year. So everybody is pursuing artificial intelligence, but real production industrial application success in artificial intelligence has a lot to do with the data that you put together before you even start to deploy an algorithm. So maybe just frame in the beginning, what is the data requirement and how data is to be thought about by practitioners getting into this whole AI and ML zone? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a key point that, uh, you know, data is at the core of it. And I think one of the things that I'm starting to see, and I think we've seen in others is that data set is still relatively small in regards to all the data that's available. Um, people have just started within the last couple of years really curating data, I think, and really kind of capturing that data. Because before, if, if you know, we would use the data and then we would prune it out, delete it and whatever. And, 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 and that used to be the message probably 10 years ago is like purge your data. You don't need to keep everything. Now we've, we've gone the other end of the spectrum where hey, keep everything, it's important, it may better your model, and you wanna have as much data in that lake as you possibly can. Of course, the issue there too is that data is a growing phenomenon, it's accelerating. Mm -hmm. I mean, you don't see any slowdown in the growth of data, do you? No, no, I mean, with, with all the sensors that are, everything is connected now, your refrigerator, you know, your, your smart devices, everything creates data and it creates a huge amount. We have a uh, high-speed trains that actually uh, have thousands of sensors that create three terabytes of data a day. So if you think of that over multiple trains, you know, it's just continuing to kind of snowball and grow. Um, so, and, and a lot of people, when they look at the data, you want to keep it because you're not sure how it's going to apply to your model. So you don't want to throw it away before you've determined that, hey, it, it really has no value in my model or it's not gonna better inform that. Um, so no, it, it's definitely not slowing down. And, and, and especially, like I said, as we continue to save it, it becomes even more important because that metadata around that data, it's the, the data itself is important, but the characteristics and how that data was created, what does it mean to everything else is, is also a key component of that. Yes, there. And the idea there is that you have to train your algorithms with the correct data, not just any data. Otherwise, correct. you won't get the results you're hoping for, or you'll get results that are perfect, but biased to some degree for whatever mm -hmm. you don't want to have in your outcomes for your AI and your ML. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's kind of having that base set of accurate data and, and making sure that you're not flawing the algorithm. And then, and then you take it, once you train it, you take it and try to apply it and find out, you know, how, how good was your test data set? Is it, well, maybe there was a flaw in it. Maybe there is a flaw in the algorithm or the way that you approached it. Um, Cause that, that's one of the big things that people are afraid of is, is introducing that bias into that and that test data and that core data set that you're working with is obviously a key component of that. 
And when you look across federal agencies, what do you see as their data practices that they probably could stand improving on? Again, pursuant to both efficient <clears throat> handling of the data, but also success in training their, their systems. So I think there's a lot of, uh, I think they're really looking at it and there's a lot of different artificial intelligence centers and you know centers of excellence that are popping up. And I think it's kind of the natural maturation of what they were doing with big data challenges and things of that nature. So now as they've continued to go into that, they're actually consolidating that data and pulling it together, pulling it out of these dis different various silos. I think they're doing a better job at that um, as well, but there's still challenge with that because there's pockets of data everywhere. So, you know, as, and then between, you know, interagency sharing as well, because a lot of the data that, you know, somebody like NOAA or somebody may create is, is key to the, you know, the Department of Energy or the DOD. So I think data sharing is an area that they can get much better with, but a lot of that comes along with kind of building these data taxonomies as well. Um, and there's no kind of overarching standard. Everyone has, the, based on their use case or their industry, has their own type of approach to what is that data taxonomy. Right, so if I'm the Marine Mammal Commission and I'm working in one sense with Fish and Wildlife, and on the other hand with NOAA, I may be, you know, gathering data that has different taxonomies and was gathered for different purposes and I need it for a third purpose. That's one of the challenges. Correct. And, 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 and being able to extrapolate certain data sets, because you, you, if you're doing marine mammal, you don't need all that data. You may only need a certain segment of it. So being able to carve out that data set and move it and manipulate it and ingest it um, and store it is, is the way that most people are going to approach it. This, this concept of this huge federated data cloud is something that would be such a massive undertaking. So I think you're still going to see people challenged with data access issues and, and keeping consistency of that data as well, the accuracy as you move it around, manipulate it. Yeah, that's always the tension, I guess, almost since the beginning of computing, or as we know it with online computing, is do you build one big giant instance of a data lake or a data warehouse, they called it a number of years ago, versus yeah, just yeah. simply having a logical data warehouse, even though the data might be stored disparately, both sides have advantages and disadvantages. Yeah, it's having, I mean, at the end of the day, it comes down to data access and management. There's not going to be one system to rule them all. If you think back way back, you know, we used to all have mainframes that everything was centrally located. Everything was on that mainframe in that company. But now we've gone to the point where if you take kind of play that forward, everyone has a mainframe, but we want them all to talk to each other. So, so building kind of that Uber, I mean, and, and the size of the data that you would have to manipulate and work with just becomes, you know, exponentially challenging. Um, even if you could get everyone to agree, the scale of it would be challenging, but um, having kind of consistent data taxonomies and standards in place would, would be something that would be good to come. And we've, we've had some of that with, you know, standardized metadata tagging, you know, APIs help a lot. Um, so I think it's just continuing to kind of develop and go down that road. But I think, I think that's a long-term challenge. So what is a good approach then for specifically AI and ML training when you don't need all the data in the world, but you still want to have a data source that you can enrich if need be to further the training and, you know, more refine what it is your process is trying to produce for you? 
Yeah, I think it's, I think it's, uh, there's kind of two pieces to it. There's, there's data access and then there's data performance. Cause one of the things that we've seen with AIML is heritage kind of legacy solution, file-based solutions. Cause most of this is unstructured data at the end of the day, file-based solutions fall down from a performance perspective and a data sharing perspective. You need something that has kind of a global parallel data access methodology, uh, as part of this, um, and then also provide the speed of that because in the past we would just copy data around we don't want to do that today we want something that i can host one kind of unified namespace and everyone can access that and it takes care of data locking it ensures data integrity consistency as well so specifically then you should not copy data from a source and then put it in another like dedicated data lake for AI training, that's something you should avoid doing? I think it's, I think it's something, I mean, you, you can pull it out, but you wanna make sure the integrity of your, of your production AI data, everyone kinda has test data. And even with data warehouses, we used to do that with data marts where we would pull it out. So it, it's, you still need kind of that consistent core data repository and, and the lake, if you will. That, that you have to manipulate for your production data, but you can pull it out um, in a read-only mode, if you think of it in that sense, um, to, to, to manipulate and work with that data. Um, but, but you still need that, that global kind of unified namespace that you're gonna work with where you can co-locate that data and provide data, efficient data access. And we mentioned NOAA, and I'll just cite them as one of several federal agencies that have high-performance computing clusters, complexes, with uh, supercomputing. And they do a lot of production work to get products out, you know, for weather service or whatever the case might be, that energy labs have similar types of things. Plus, they also do analysis. And so, is there any lessons learned from the way the high-performance domain handles data and uses it for perhaps more than one purpose? Yeah, I think I think they're very good data historians, if you will, because if you look at NOAA, you go down and look at their data sets. I mean, they have petabytes or even exabytes of tape out there to, with that historical data that they're leveraging. Um, I think that's historically where you saw kind of HPC environments that are like they were used to dealing with data. And I think with the advent of public cloud technologies um, and longer, you know, larger data stores, it kind of we have the ability as, as to extend that beyond the HPC environment. Now you, you don't have to go buy a huge Cray supercomputer or an NVIDIA, you know, supercomputer with the tons of GPUs. You can go out to Amazon, Azure, Google, wherever it may be, you know, Hitachi, and, and buy that type of infrastructure that you can host very quickly and kind of spin it up. So I, I think they, it, it, the, advent of public cloud has made it more accessible to somebody that didn't couldn't afford a cray supercomputer but their data management practices are have informed kind of this entire ai ai ml data uh, management so a lot of then the uh, that whole training and management issue can take place in the cloud almost contained within that cloud yeah absolutely and and i think it's it allows them the elasticity to expand bring it down but the data the data is going to stay there and most solutions, most of our training and, and what we look at is, is focused on the metadata. It's not necessarily the in data, the image or the object, whatever it may be. So 
keeping that as close. So a lot of times what you'll see is they'll host data in the cloud, but they'll keep all that metadata closer to the compute in on the private on-prem, wherever it may be. My guest today is Gary Hicks, the Chief Technology Officer of Hitachi Vantara Federal. I'm Tom Temin. This discussion is how to best leverage your data for AI and ML, sponsored by Hitachi Vantara Federal here on Federal News Network. Hitachi Vantara Federal is built to support your mission and vision. We empower federal agencies in the digital domains that matter most, the data center, tactical and strategic data operations, and digital transformation. We bring together an unmatched portfolio of edge-to-core-to-cloud infrastructure, AI, and analytics that enable our customers' digital missions and propel our nation forward. Let us accelerate your data journey from infrastructure to advanced analytics. Contact Hitachi Vantara Federal today at HitachiVantaraFederal.com. Welcome back to our discussion, how to best leverage your data for artificial intelligence and machine learning, sponsored by Hitachi Ventara Federal here on Federal News Network. My guest today is Gary Hicks, the Chief Technology Officer for Hitachi Ventara Federal. I'm Tom Temin. And let's talk more about the idea of that metadata store, if you will, versus yeah. the data itself and how the best way to kind of stage or architect that is such that you avoid too much duplication of effort, too much duplication of data, yet you get that fast access. And also the idea of a single source of truth idea so that when, you know, when data gets duplicated, yeah. that doesn't mean all 12 copies end up the same a month later. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I think one of the things is people, I think when kind of lay people think about, you know, uh, AI, ML, big data, just, just data analytics, they think you're always looking at that specific piece of data. And you're many times not, you're looking at the characteristics, when it was it created, who created it, what application created it, um, even custom metadata as it kind of infuses it, uh, you know, uh, how many times has it been accessed? You know, there's uh, just a plethora of, of metadata that you can associate with it that helps you inform kind of the characteristics of that data, the, the true meaning behind what does it do? And, and I think the AIML uses that metadata most of the often. So what you wanna do is make sure that you have a solution because some of the solutions as they kind of develop that, uh, we talk about archiving it, that, that data archiving it, but keeping the metadata close. What you want is a solution that keeps that metadata really localized where you can quickly access it and you're not pulling it back from the cloud. Because um, a lot of people use cloud for storage, but it has some challenges from a performance perspective, but also a cost perspective. If I have to pull that object, that data down every time I want to look at it, it it's going to become very expensive very quickly. Um, so I think that's one of the key areas to look at when you're building that solution is, is is that metadata locally accessible or, or locally accessible wherever my compute and those models are running? And does the storage makeup have to do with this? Can that play into how you set it all up? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so there's different features anytime you kind of start to look at, you know, file solutions. And then we briefly touched on it before, you know, file solutions of yesterday were, have really been challenged to do kind of this global data access where I need to get high speed access to every client that's using it. And they may be, and they're, they're many times using different data, but having it all co coalesced into that single infrastructure really makes it more beneficial to your data management uh, characteristics. Because 
what we would have done in the past is we would have put traditional NAS or those types of solutions out there. And then we would have been challenged to copy all that data around. And now we begin to look at, okay, which day is the right data? Have I changed it? Have I modified it? Have I, and in many cases, maybe I improved it and want to use it over here. So this concept of this parallel file system or this global data store really improves the ability of not only uh, time to value of your data and your processing your models, but really better, better that data sharing to make sure that everyone has kind of access to that one true data and metadata as well. Traditional file solutions didn't always have the most robust uh, metadata either. Uh, it, it was kind of rele relegated to when was this created and when was the last time it was modified? That, that was kind of the extent of metadata a lot of times and who owned it. Um, but with these newer file-based solutions, we can really expand that metadata universe. It's almost like the old PowerPoint presentation version problem yeah. blown up to uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning scale. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, 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 and we can do, as we kind of look at these uh, file, these new parallel file system solutions, you can do a lot of things with it that you could do, you know, you, you talk about versioning, like we can take snapshots of this entire data store and very quickly spin it up at a, another site, another cloud, whatever it may be to do that data sharing and then integrate them back. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's definitely kind of that, uh, we always had challenges with these solutions with, uh, with file locking and things of that nature. These newer solutions have addressed a lot of that um, where you don't have, you know, hey, I have a conflict. Two people have the same file open. Which one is the, the one true file? All right, and so you offer that service. Uh, that sounds like almost parallel access methodology as a service. And maybe Correct. describe how your solution works. What does it look like? Yeah, so, so, so really the way the solution works is it, it is a global parallel file system that operates at high speed. And what we do is we take an approach where 10 to 20% of your data set is this concept of hot data. Um, including the metadata. We keep all the metadata up at that hot tier, things you're actively working with. The other 80% of your data that you're probably not accessing as much or, or you don't need as quick access, we actually tier that, if you will, down to an object store. They're still fundamentally tied together in a unified namespace where all that data is accessible and you know, you think of it as a massive filing cabinet. Um, but what we do is we move it down to a cheaper tier of storage, still accessible, still quick, relatively quick to pull back, but all that hot data, that metadata is riding on uh, NVMe storage, which is really the kind of the fastest level of storage that we have today. So it's almost uh, CPU direct access, sounds like. Yeah, yeah, it's actually, it, it actually can do uh, GPU direct. We have a lot of customers looking at their AI ML models with GPUs, the graphic processing units. And we support GPU direct where it can actually not traverse that to go actually between buffers um, and, and provide that high speed data access. And if you have different tiers, say, so a lower cost tier might be disk storage, for example, I'm presuming you're not as low as tape anymore. <laughs> no, 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 we, we, we don't do tape anymore, but, but we do have um, slower spinning disks. So we still sell a lot of spinning disks. So what we have is a, nearline what most people would call nearline storage um, but we've become very efficient at erasure coding and technologies of that type where we have a very high reliability to the point of 15 nines 
but it's very cheap and deep um, and, and is very efficient at the what it does um, for long-term storage and, and can scale to zettabytes or even, you know, things of that nature, that, of that scale with this solution. And to the user, it looks like one logical set of data, regardless of what the storage hierarchy underneath that is. Correct. It, it just looks like a file system. As they go in and manipulate that data, it, it just looks like a typical file system that would, they would mount on their clients. Um, and, it, and it supports typical file-based technologies like the older NFS um, and SIFs. But a lot of these newer solutions and products really want that direct access to the data over a posit and it has a POSIX-based uh, file system or agent. Sure. And if a given, say, as you mentioned, 20% of the data needs to be in the hot zone, you know, available to that GPU instantaneously, as your requirements change, as the work you're doing changes, does the intelligence in the system enable that 20% to change depending on the changing needs? <clears throat> so things go back maybe to the disk. Yeah, so, so the data kind of, as it, it understands the activity of the data and it'll move it up and down. But as part of our design of this solution, we'll work with customers to understand 20% may not be the right number, maybe it's 30, 50%. Um, we do that to from a cost effective and performance characteristic to, so every, every environment is different, but 20, you know, it's the typical 80, 20 rule that everyone is, is used to kind of dealing with is, is, is our starting point. And how does it interact with commercial clouds that clients might be using? So it, it, this solution can run in the cloud, the object storage that does the secondary tiering can run in the cloud um, and, and, and any cloud really, any S, S3 target. Um, so it, it really is a robust solution that allows you a lot of flexibility for deciding where you're gonna host it, whether it's private on-prem up in the public cloud infrastructure or, or one of the government clouds. And it can be virtualized, I think you said, so that you can have yeah. multiple instances depending on what the requirement might be. For yeah, ab absolutely. So, so it, it, it's really flexible in the way that you want to deploy it. It, it does have that unified namespace, but you can do multi-tenancy within it. Um, it you know, it, it can connect to other data sources as well to assist with that uh, data ingestion, even if you will. And is it an application that people buy or is it something they can use as a service or all of you? So, so all, all the above, I was going to say, we're, we're pretty flexible with the way that they would buy it. They could buy it either as, you know, your typical, hey, I want to buy the software standard up on prem. Um, I need a, cl a cloud consumption model where we can do it as a service uh, in, in one of the commercial clouds. We, we, can, we can definitely be very flexible with whatever makes the most sense for their approach. Um, I would say as data continues to grow, uh, the public cloud is attractive, but I think there's going to be this tipping point where you have to operate in a hybrid environment from just from a cost effectiveness data security perspective. Yeah. So to summarize, this is really optimized for the AI ML imperative that so many agencies have. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and it's, it's something that we saw come in in the future, but we've kind of, you know, as we discussed, you only typically saw it in HPC environments because they're the only ones that had those size data sets that, and that use case to really crunch that much data. But everyone has seen the availability and, and the importance of AI ML in, in future, moving into the future. All right, I'd like to thank today's guest. Gary Hicks is the Chief Technology Officer at Hitachi Ventara Federal. Great to have you with us today. Thanks, Tom.
And I'm Tom Temin. You've been listening to Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, please visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Hitachi Ventara Federal. Thank you for listening to Federal Insights for May, a discussion on artificial intelligence and data, sponsored by Hitachi Vantara Federal on Federal News Network.